Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs. In this special four-part series that we're bringing to you, Oscar sits down with Coach Joby Hall for a very candid and in-depth discussion about his life and career. Joby Hall coached the Kentucky Wildcats from 1972 to 1985, and he had the enormous task of following Coach Adolph Rupp. He coached the Wildcats to the 1978 championship, contributing to a winning career at Kentucky. Oscar and Coach Hall start at the very beginning in Cynthiana, Kentucky, and you're going to find out that Coach Hall was the original Beach Boy. Coach Hall has the unique distinction of playing and coaching at Kentucky, and he's going to describe to you what it was like to play with the Fabulous Five. You will hear the deciding factor in why Coach Hall opted to transfer from Kentucky, and you're going to hear some great stories along his journey. And oh yeah, you're going to hear about all-international Joey B. Hall. I'm Bo Robinson cordially inviting you to listen in to Oscar's conversation with Coach Joe B. Hall. But before we hear about basketball, Oscar had to ask the burning question that has always been on the minds of the Big Blue Nation. Coach, we're a better part of your career. The big question around Central Kentucky and college basketball, what does the B in Joe B. Hall stand for? Well, now, I'll tell you about that, Oscar. My grandmother... When uh, I was a preteen, told me, he said, Joe, your name is so short, Joe Hall. There's no pizzazz in it. She said, always use the B. Be known as Joe B. Hall. Gives it a little more length and a little more character. And she said, uh, it's always good to have a little mystery about you. Said, kind of hide what the B stands for. I didn't object to that because I wasn't too fond of it to begin with. My middle name was Beesman, B-E-A-S-M-A-N. And uh, it's a story as to how that came about. When I was born, I was born at home, and Dr. McDowell was our attending physician. And he said, now, what's the name of this baby? We got to put it on this birth certificate. And they said, well, we haven't thought of a name yet, so we'll get back with you. Well, this went on three or four days. Finally, Dr. McDowell just filled out the birth certificate, Joe Beesman Hall. And Joe Beesman was a famous Harrison County legislator. He was the first legislator from that area in state government. So Dr. McDowell knew him and thought he was a good man, and he was the one that named me. And it stuck. And it stuck. Oh, yeah, we didn't change it. You were born in 28, grew up in the 30s. Very, very difficult time in this country for a family. Tell me a little bit about your... Well, it was right in the height of the Depression. 
There were no jobs. It was uh, tough for my father and mother. They had two little boys, three and a half years apart, and uh, it was uh, really tough on my dad. My mother wasn't working. My dad worked at, uh, as a mechanic. He worked as a welder. He did a little bit of everything that you could think of to put food on the table. So finally, when I was about six years old, that would have been 1934, he packed us up in one car with all our belongings and a tent tied to the roof. And we took off for Florida or parts unknown. You were but just he, going to find work. He was going to see if he could get to Florida and get a job. So we went to Florida. I'll never forget we stopped someplace in Georgia to spend a night and put that tent up beside the road and slept that night. Got up the next morning, folded the tent, went on into Georgia. We went to a trailer park, set our tent up with the idea of living there until they had found a job. My dad was um, my hero. He was my idol. And I, I thought he could do anything. As it turned out, he could. He went to the Miami Laundry main office, and he asked if there were any openings. Guy said, no, and there's 10 applicants for every job in the plant. And dad said, well, have you got a salesman that's on vacation? The guy said, yeah, we got... George Wilson over here, he's uh, on a week's vacation. Dad said, let me run his route, and if I don't double his work, you don't pay me. If I do, you give me a job. Guy said, all right, we'll try you. So Dad got the job and later became the uh, spotting head of spotting in the clothes cleaning business. My mother, in the meantime, Made the round of the floors. She had never been a floors, but uh, she found a lady that would hire. And so both my mother and father worked while Billy and I were little kids. He was 10, I was 6. And the first day of school, well, uh, get back to when we got there. We got there in the early summer, and mother and dad both worked. So Billy and I would get up in the morning, and they would be gone, and they'd leave us lunch money. And uh, it was meant to buy plate lunch at a little restaurant down the street. And we wound up buying crackers and bologna and, <laughs> and soda pop at the local grocery. How long did you all spend in Florida before you moved back to Kentucky? Well, let me finish this story. Mother, w Billy and I went to the beach every day for the whole summer, unsupervised. We swam clear out to the sandbars. We swam across canal full of barracudas and every kind of dangerous fish imaginable. We learned to knife into the big waves and not getting squashed. And we got very comfortable in the ocean at a very young age. And uh, so then uh, it came school time. And mother took us to school. First day, got us enrolled. And then, from then on, 
left lunch money, and we got up and went to school on our own. But uh, we would put our bathing suits on under our clothes, and as we passed the beach, we shucked our outer layer of clothes, threw our books under a tree, and spent the rest of the day <laughs> in the ocean. So the first month's report came, and Billy and I had not been to school one day. <laughs> So needless to say, we had to stand up, eat off of the mantle from then on. But uh, we were taken back to school, re-enrolled, and uh, made it clear that we had to be there every day. But we loved the beach. We were so crazy about being around that water and and being on our own, having to learn the danger and uh, no one to tell us. But uh, lifeguards would get after us. We'd uh, roam way up the beach. You were river rats on the ocean. We were river rats on the ocean. Absolutely loved it. But uh, eventually we moved back to Cynthiana. There still were no jobs. My uncle was a saddle horse trainer up in uh, Seekonk, Massachusetts, right outside of Providence Road. And he said there were jobs up there. So we moved that next fall. To Massachusetts, and uh, I was still in the first grade, and uh, we—it uh, was entirely different. There was three or four feet of snow. Now you had a sister or two. Later? Not at that time. She came uh, when I was nine years old. Okay. Were but, you back in Cynthiana then? Yeah, we were back. But we uh, we had fun uh, playing in the snow. We learned to ice skate. We had some great hills we could go down. We would take. Uh, roofing, sheets of roofing, corrugated roofing, and five or six of us get on it and go down Ozil. And it's a wonder somebody didn't get decapitated <laughs> from that tea. But uh, there was, we were in the country, and there was a woods across the road from our house, and there were a den of red foxes. And we could go over and sit quietly and watch them play. And uh, we just had a great experience getting to know the people in that area, going to school. We rode a country school bus to school, little tiny country schoolhouse. And uh, so that in Florida, in Florida we lived on the beach finally and uh, saw the first hotel go up on the beach. It was a Jack Dempsey Hotel. And it was uh, just across the street. We weren't backed up to the ocean, but we were facing it across the street, so it was uh, real handy. You, you were always an outdoorsman throughout your adult life, and and you weren't just a baseball. You were an athlete of all sports. In fact, many times you say you like football as much as you do baseball. What sports did you play when you got back to Kentucky in your high school years? Well, I guess uh, being a Boy Scout, we met every Monday in the uh, city uh, gymnasium. They called it City Hall. And we played basketball. And I guess uh, at an early age, I had a chance to play on a real court, shoot at real baskets. And then Billy Fitzgerald lived next door to the hospital in Cynthia. And he had a barn in his backyard with a goal on it. And it was close enough to the hospital parking lot that we could play at night from the lights from parking and which led to a lot of whipping getting <laughs> home late for dinner 
Yeah. I developed a love for basketball because I had to eke out opportunity to play. It was in driveways, at goals on my buddies' houses. I didn't have a goal, but uh, I played so much that I got very good at it. And uh, usually I was the first pick. And then in, uh, when I got to uh, junior high, well, I, I had physical education and played good in those classes. And the coach picked me up for the junior high team. And uh, I played junior high ball. Then when I was a freshman, we had two, three real good players a couple of grades ahead of me. So we had a good ball club, and I could play and uh, kind of hid my inexperience by playing with those good kids. One of them was Paul Hicks, who later was a star at Eastern, and Caven Barnett, who played at Transylvania. You come to University of Kentucky, and you told me once that you had never seen a game until you actually became a student at UK. Tell me how you ended up coming to UK in 47. My brother and I, we followed every Kentucky team back as far as I can remember. I know I saw I followed players even before Malalan, Burrs, Tico, uh, those players, but uh, early 40s. And uh, never dreamed of playing, but I kept, my brother and I kept uh, scoring charts every game. So we knew how many points every player had by the end of the game, how many fouls. Tried to keep rebounds, but it wasn't very good broadcast. You <laughs> could always do that. But we were very much into Kentucky basketball. I remember being at the state tournament one of those early years when it was played in the alumni gym. And Wilbur Shue and, and uh, oh gosh, four or five of the players, some of the real tall ones, were kind of door guards. And uh, us kids, us pre-teens, would go over and stand by them and look up at them. And uh, too scared to talk to them, but just to be around them. And uh, that was the closest I ever was to Kentucky as a team or a player. When you came in in 47, what was the size of the squad? How many players would come with scholarships, and how did that filter out? Well, I was selected to play in the East-West High School All-Star game my senior year, and we practiced a week at uh, the old alumni gym, which was the varsity gym at that time. And uh, Coach Lancaster would come watch the practices. So I was invited to come try out for the team before the school started. And uh, the first day that I tried out, there was probably 70 kids. They had come in by bus, train. Their parents had brought them in. They were all staters from all of the surrounding states and uh, from Kentucky. And we would scrimmage all day. One team would go in. Coach Rupp and Coach Langster would sit up in the stand. Humsey Yesen, who was the manager back then, would read off the names <laughs> of the next two teams. And the next two teams would scrimmage for 15, 20 minutes, and then two more teams come in. At the end of the day, Humsey gathered everybody in front of him and said, these 10, will come back next week and read my name as one of the ten. 
And I know that it helped me because I'd played on the All-Star and Coach Lancaster had seen me play. So I probably had a one up. Did you have a freshman team that first year or did freshmen play varsity? If you had enrolled in the summer, you could play varsity. I didn't enroll until the fall. I was the only one on scholarship that didn't couldn't play varsity. That freshman year. Yeah, freshman year. Garland Towns, Bob Henney, Roger Day, and Walt Hurst were four freshmen that were eligible for varsity. But you were able to practice so. <clears throat> yeah, I practiced every day, and that was the 47-48 team, which was the official Fabulous Five. How was it guarding people like Ralph Beard? Well, it was uh, – I'll never forget the first time I guarded Ralph. I thought I was pretty good defensive man, and uh, and I was. I could, I could shut out a lot of people, but not Ralph Beard. I spread out, got those hands down, looked him in the eye, and uh, really broke down frame. He bounced the ball between my legs. To Groza, and before I could get straightened up, he was already by me, going in for a layup. Now that that brought a challenge out in me. I really worked hard on my defense, and Ralph guarded me in practice, and he was he was uh, so quick, so competitive, so aggressive, so hard nosed, tough. I remember one time I stole the ball from him, and dribbling. I was beating him down the court, and he tripped and fell and still blocked my shot. <laughs> I mean, he didn't lose a step in falling. He just hit rope, was back up, and right on me. And uh, I remember after I went to Sewanee, I'm getting ahead here, but this is a part of the Ralph Beard yeah. guarding me. I, I'd set the scoring record in Sewanee in my third game. And uh, Lon Varnell was coach friends of Coach Ruff. So we came back up and went to the SEC tournament and went in the locker room. And Harry asked me, he said, yeah, you said score director Swanee, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, why didn't you do that here at Kentucky? <laughs> I said, Harry, who guarded me every day of practice? Let, let's he, just go back. He and, said, who? I said, Ralph, Ralph Beard. Beard. Let, let's go back and take <laughs> it from there. And take you through your years in college. Your freshman year at UK, you couldn't play because you enrolled late. And then take us from there and, and on to Swanee and then back. Well, I'd, I was like a kid as a stagehand in the movie business with all the superstars. I was in all being in the locker room with those guys uh, going up on the floor and scrimmaging and guarding people like Beard and Rollins and Barker. And uh, then uh, everything went fine my freshman year. I lived with Jim Lyon and Roger Day in the old Kincaid Hall. And it was three to a, to a suite. You had a study room and then you had bedroom. And uh, the uh, that experience was great. Jim Lyon was one of the finest men I ever knew. He was a military returnee had been to war. He was older. He was mature and uh, didn't have a reason to take to the freshman. <laughs> but he uh, he was really good to me, and uh, I'll never forget him. He was just a great guy. 
In 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 re, in relation to that Fab Five team, it wasn't that rare. In fact, it was pretty common that you had a lot of players who had been in the military and were coming back from the war. And I want to ask you about one particular player because it's always fascinated me. And and you and I have talked about this before. But tell me a little bit about Cliff Barker and what do you remember? And did you know at the time what he went through before he came back to UK? Uh, yeah, I, the story went with him. He'd been a prisoner of war in Germany for like six or eight months. Fourteen, actually. Fourteen months. Yeah. And uh, he had uh, played basketball with a volleyball. And, of course, you can do things with a volleyball, being smaller in passing and shooting and everything. It's a lot different. But he carried those skills. I guess he had played so much was all he had to do that he developed the skills of passing, ball handling, that were way ahead of anybody at that era. I mean, he could take it behind his back. He could pass it, bounce passes through his legs. He could throw it behind his back on the bounce. He could look one way, throw it over his shoulders backwards. He could... Uh, this dazzled you with his ball handling. But he was also crafty. Being older and uh, and tougher, he'd been through a lot in German prisoner of war camp. Being, that, that's true adversity, unlike yeah. today's players. Well, when Adolf Harry jumped on him, it didn't bother him. He'd take anything he could throw out. So he and would, when, he, when he'd get a little tired, he'd go over and sit down on the floor Right during a scrimmage, start taking his shoes off. If he wanted to rest, Adolph come by and say, Cliff, what are you doing? He said, my feet are burning. <laughs> so he didn't want to get blisters. One of the stories was, was when he got shot down over Germany, that there was a farmer that where he got shot down ran up to him and saw him laying there and saw a pack of cigarettes in it. And he grabbed the pack of cigarettes and started stuffing them in and Barker reached up and smacked him and took him back out and took him back and then picked one cigarette out and handed it back to the barber. <laughs> so I guess he was a pretty tough hombre. Yeah, he was, but he was also kind of the father of the team. He was the older guy, had a level head. Nothing bothered him. Harry could jump on him, Adolf jump on him. He'd just laugh it off. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't the leader of the team, though. More Kenny Rollins, the other guard opposite Beard, was older also and had been in the service. And Kenny was the captain, and justifiably so, because he was the uh, the thinker and the calmer of people that were upset over the way they were cheated or worked or <laughs> chewed on, and he was the one that would settle everybody down. So Kenny Rollins was very important to you know, that group. It's been so long ago, but today's young people don't really realize what all that team accomplished. In addition to winning the NCAA, uh, they had the Olympic trials in New York City and had eight teams there. They had four AAU teams and four college teams. And Kentucky beat Louisville and Baylor. And the Phillip Oilers were the champions of the AAU. And, of course, they had Bob Curlin and uh, Cab Rannick and a really great group of uh, college All-Americans. And they were coached by Bud Browning. And uh, a very good ball club. 
and to win the AAU, there were only about, I don't know how many pro teams, but there were a lot of AAU teams that had players that didn't make the pro, but they had great talent, and some of them were really loaded. Akron Goodyear, uh, Cleveland Pipers, uh, they're just on and on. There were these AAU clubs. They had the next group of players below the pros. Some of them probably should have been pros. When it came down to Phillips Oilers and Kentucky, and the way I've been told is there was no money available to support the Olympic team to go to the Olympics, so they had three exhibition games to raise money, and one of them was the famous game over at Stowe Field. Were you there? And if you were, yeah, what do you I was, remember? I was sitting on the bench in three clothes, of course, and they had two benches. They had one for the players and then one right behind the player. And I was working for a guy in Santana on his farm, Billy Wigglesworth. And so I took Billy with me. We had two tickets on the bench. And of course that put me in good stead with my boss. <laughs> but uh, I never will forget that. And I think there were 20,000 plus at the game. And of course, Philip Oilers, was a great team. They picked up a couple of college players. One of them was Dale Barksdale. Another one was Jackie Robinson. Not the Jackie Robinson. I think he was from Baylor. And then we had Ray Lump from Notre Dame and another player I can't remember. But there were a couple of good players added to the rosters of the Phillips team and Kentucky. And it was a beautiful game. I think they moved the armory floor down, played out in the middle of the stove field, and uh, was quite an event. Had had a good day for it, too. So, so this particular team wins the NCAA. They become Olympic gold medalists. Uh, well, here here's the thing about trying to – Compare teams. Uh, naturally, a team today would have beat the, the Fabulous Five. But in their era, against their opponents, they were more dominating than anybody has ever been since. I mean anybody. Even the UCLA teams didn't dominate like the Fabulous Five did that one year. So you come back your sophomore year and take it from there. Well, uh, they had graduated uh, – Cliff, no, Kenny Rollins had graduated. And so there was a spot open at guard. And uh, I had friends that came practice and said that I looked like I was going to make the first team. And uh, as it turned out, Barnstable, who was a couple of years older than us, other fresh, Garland Towns had been a service. And uh, he was a contender for that position. But uh, the uh, first road game we went on, we played uh, Holy Cross in the Boston Gardens when... uh, Cousy? Cousy, Bob Cousy, was the guard, and Captain was their center. And they were ranked in the top five. And we went up there, and uh, we beat them. Not, Not real bad, but six or eight points probably. And that was a game that uh, ended in a free-for-all brawl. We were 
on the bench, I never got in a game. In fact, I think coach only used seven players in that game. And uh, Wawa had fouled out. He had been on the football squad and had been on the basketball with not enough time to adjust to the finesse game from the physical game. And he fouled out with about five minutes to go. And the crowd got on him. And one guy was right behind the bench and was very obnoxious. And he was telling, take your shoes off and get comfortable, Wawa, you hillbilly. <laughs> and just relentless, all-time Wawa was sitting there on the bench. So as the game ended, we started out and we had to walk right in front of this guy. And I'll never forget, and people say it was something else, but I saw what it was. This guy wadded up a Chesterfield empty cigarette package into a little ball and hit Y right in the corner of the eye with it. I mean, point blank range. Well, he hit the wrong guy because in the next 10 seconds, he became the first man into outer space. <laughs> y stepped over those stands and cold cocked him. I mean, really laid him out with one blow. And then the crowd erupted on us. And uh, Garland and uh, Day and Henny and I grabbed the bench, and we picked the bench up and rammed the crowd as they were coming. They were just avalanche coming out of the stand. And uh, I'll never forget there was a picture in the local paper with some guy with his hand in Adolph's trying to get his bill full. <laughs> but uh, in no time, there were about 15 police and they surrounded us, and uh, people were throwing ice cups and things at us. But they now this was us, after the game had ended. Yeah, they led us off the floor into the hotel. It was kind of like the Hyatt is to Rep Arena, only it was closer. And we went right into the dressing room off the floor. That was a great experience. We went on down to New York. And two nights later, we played St. John's in Madison Square Garden. That had to be a real eye-opener for a country boy like oh, you my. in it New was, York City in uh, Boston. Yeah. Oh, New York City, and we're downtown walking the streets. I'll never forget Willie, Pep, and Sadler were fighting that night. And Coach Rupp said, all right, you guys, you've had enough fighting for one, <laughs> one trip. We're going to go to the Paramount Theater. See Benny Goodman, and uh, we all wanted to go to the fight, but uh, he said, "No, nah, you've had enough fight." But to play in Madison Square Garden, well, it's big today. Yes, you hear kids talking about having the opportunity to play in Madison Square Garden. Well, this was in '48, and this was the old Madison Square oh, Garden. Oh yeah, and I mean, as a kid, you were just thrilled to be there. And as we walked the street. People recognized us. I guess some of us had letters on or something. Now, but, when you when you went up there, did y'all fly, go on a train, or what? Well, that was interesting, too. <laughs> we couldn't get uh, airline seats for everybody, but uh, Coach Rupp, Coach Lancaster, and the Fabulous Five flew. The rest of us went by train, <laughs> and we had a great time. Claude Sullivan was on that train with us. We played cards, had a big time. And, uh, I, I got to ask you because it's been so long ago and nobody ever talks about it. 
What was Claude Sullivan like? One of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Just as friendly and open and would sit and talk to you about any subject. Uh, he just, he was, uh, he and Kay Wood both were two of the greatest people I ever knew. And Claude was uh, a super announcer. I remember, I think it was at Auburn, we were playing in a Quonset hut and uh, turned into a gym. And uh, the announcers had to be on the top floor, the top seat, in a little boxed in area. And the students would stand up in front of you. <laughs> and Claude would have to lean out over the box to see the end of the floor. And he fell out one time. <laughs> but Claude was a great guy and a super-liked person and a great announcer. You're you're in New York. I, I assume that's well, getting close to Christmas. It is. And I remember doing some Christmas shopping. And uh, But the big thing was before the game, well, at halftime of the game, we're playing St. John's, and they're in the top five, and we're blowing them out by 20 at halftime. And this is when St. John's is a big name in college oh, basketball. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, for years, it was Kentucky and Kansas and North Carolina and St. John's going for the most victories until the last 15 or 20 years. And Western Kentucky yes. was one of those that was up in the 5th, 6th, 7th. Ed Diddle. Ed Diddle. And they were the toasts of New York. The crowd really enjoyed the, the fast break ball that they played. But uh, Kentucky was the sweetheart of New York. No question. They absolutely loved Coach up in the Kentucky team. And... Uh, but we get through the first half, and we're drubbing St. John. And Coach Rupp has the four of us. That's kind of the division of the squad. We were a 12-man squad, but he played only about seven or eight players. So we called ourselves the Fabulous Five and the Sorry Seven. <laughs> we nicknamed ourselves. But uh, at halftime of that game, Coach said, you four guys stay out and just shoot. We we didn't even go to the dressing room <laughs> for instruction. Well, that was a real put down. And we thought, well, we won't get in the game. So I remember Garland Towns and I made a contest out of it. And I beat him. I scored 86 points, and he scored 78 at halftime. That has to be a record. And there was no three-point shot then. <laughs> no three-point shot. No free throw. All fast-break layups. <laughs> but uh, when we came home from that trip, our next games after the start of the first, second semester was going to be an SEC Southern trip. I forget where we were going. But Coach Rupp brought – Garland and Roger Day and, and uh, Bob Andy and I in to his office. And he said, now I've decided to only carry 10 on this next trip. So two of you are going to be left at home. And I'm going to have you draw straws to see who goes. Well, that, that just hit me between the eyes. And I said, no, coach, I'm not going to draw a straw. Somebody can go in my place. 
So that led me to think transfer. And uh, I didn't want to have to draw straws to make a trip. And so I went in to see him the next day and told him and asked him for his help in getting me uh, in someplace else. And uh, came back a couple of days. He had the Xavier of Ohio and Duke at that time was just building a program. And he had me transfers to either of those schools. And the Xavier at that time had a work study program that uh, you could go to school and hold a part-time job and make a hundred dollars a month. Well, that big was money big money, yeah. So I thought real hard about going to Savior, and I was listening to a game in Louisville. Louisville was playing somebody, and a coach on the radio at halftime was being interviewed. Coach at Sewanee, Lon S. Farnell. And uh, he was in Kentucky. He said, what are you doing up in Kentucky? He says, well, it's semester break, and I'm up here. I need a guard real bad. And I heard that Kentucky guards are the best. So I'm trying to find a young man that'd like to come to Swanee. Play immediately. You don't have to lay out. You come, and you're immediately out. He could come on Sunday night and play in the game on Friday. So, boy, this lit me up. So the next day I called Coach up. I said, Coach, you know Lon Varnell, Swanee? He said, sure. He said, he spent a year with us observing our program and developing his offense. And uh, I said, well, could you give him a call and tell him to get in contact with me? He said, would you go to Swanee? I'll say, I'll go anywhere where I can play. And he said, okay, I'll call him. So Varnell called me back the next day and uh, wanted me to come down that weekend and visit Sewanee. So I told him I would. He had two players, Bob Ward and Georgetown, and Bob Logan of Shelbyville that were on the squad down there. Now, we must ask you, where were, did you know where Sewanee was at that well, time? Well, I'll let you know here in a minute. <laughs> so uh, he said, now you can go over to Bob Ward's and Bob Logan will pick you all up Sunday at noon, or a little later, it was 2 o'clock or something. So I go over, and my mother and dad put me out. I put my suitcase down on the front porch, get in a chair, wait for Bob Logan to come pick us up. So we get in, and we head out, and we're going toward Bowling Green. And I said, fellas, what time will we get to Sewanee? They said, oh, it's going to be late. I said, well, how late? Well, it's going to be 12, 1 o'clock. I said, we got dates in Bowling Green. Got you a date, too. So uh, we stop in Bowling Green, go to a sorority, play ping pong, get back in the car and head into Swanee. I said, well, it's 9.30. What time are we going to get to Swanee? Well, it's going to be late. I said, wait a minute, fellas. What state is this school in? <laughs> I had no idea where we were going. I hadn't even asked anybody where the school was. I thought Sewanee would be connected to the Sewanee River, which runs out of Georgia. Into Florida. Into Florida. So I found out that uh, I was going to go to Tennessee school. So we get down there, we start practice on Monday, and they're running the Kentucky offense, and they're running it with the 
forwards in tight, and I tell coach, I said, Kentucky has moved those forwards out wide. It's opened up floor more. So he did, and we made some adjustments, and and uh, before long I was a starter, and I still wasn't set. These guys were walking around on campus with long back robes. Everybody had to wear a coat and tie. It was uh, a lot different than I expected. And so I was a little timid about committing. I just wanted to be more comfortable. So it came down to Friday, and Coach said, Now, Joe, if you want to play tomorrow, you've got to enroll today. So I'm thinking, well, if I enroll and don't have a good feeling about playing, I could always pack up and leave, and I'm going to enroll. So I enrolled. And we were playing Birmingham Southern, and uh, they had beaten Sewanee earlier that year by 20 in Birmingham. So we beat them there in Sewanee, and I'd played good. We went to Cumberland, Tennessee the next game, and I was the leading scorer. Then the third game, I set the school scoring record, and uh, I really felt at home. Had a great time, met a lot of great people, friends that are still friends today. Some of them passed away, but some are still around. So you uh, come back the next year. I think I went home, managed the swimming pool, and then came back that fall to Sewanee. And we uh, we had uh, some pre-games, pre-season games, with Perilous Mill, which was a really good AAU team. We played them down in Chattanooga, and I was the leading scorer. And we came back, played them in Lexington, and I told, I mean in Suwannee, I told Coach that I was feeling bad, and I had a fever. I went ahead and played and did real well and uh, went back to the locker room after the game. We beat them, and uh, I got the shakes. They took my temperature, and I was a 104. I had pleurisy. I could hardly breathe. Put me in the hospital. They told me I couldn't play for till the doctor let me go. We'd already scheduled a trip to Lexington to scrimmage Kentucky for three days. I wasn't going to miss. So I came. I made the trip. And I played every day. And then I broke down and got sick. And I had dropped out of school after that. That wasn't the end of your relationship with Lon Varnell. Oh, no. Uh, good night. He and I were so close. And you made a and trip together children. that following summer, didn't you? Yeah, I came back that summer after not playing that second semester and uh, toured Europe. And uh, he was a promoter of uh, performers, musical, stage, and uh, he promoted the Globetrotters on their first southern trip ever. And he got to be good friends with Saperstein. So he talked him in to taking our team and some recruits that Varnell was using this trip to bring in. And he got a couple of good kids that way. And uh, we toured Europe and Africa with the Harlem Globetrotters. We played 56 games in 58 days, and uh, we only had eight players, and that meant that you didn't sit out many of those games. And boy, we ripped and run, and I loved every minute of it. It, uh, it did something to me. The travel, the thrill of playing games, and playing different teams every night. And uh, you, would, uh, you, you would get so you played your game, 
without any thought to your who your opponents were. You just went into the gate and looked at them like they had no faith. And uh, you just, you learn to give your best every night out. And, uh, and we had time to visit castles and take in the sights. It was just a fabulous trip. And to be around the Globetrotter every night after our game, which was a preliminary, we played the national teams where we were. We played two international tournaments, one in in Italy, in Naples, and then one in Geneva, Switzerland. The Italians beat us in Switzerland, in, uh, no, in uh, Naples. And they already had their name on the trophy. (laughs) (laughs) And we beat them in Switzerland. And uh, from then on, I was announced as all international, Joey B. Hall.